Well, if you don't think so, then you probably shouldn't be here. We like to laugh a lot, but we also like to get serious. And and this morning, there was a, such an a, anointing in the worship in that song, that last song, Word of God Speak. I just wanted to get up and begin to just read the Word and preach the Word. It's The Bible says that it's living and active. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Divides between joints and marrow, soul and spirit. And, you know, God created us, triune beings, and part of that being is the soulish side. We have that natural side, but we're also spirit. And and often we need that word to cut and divide between our soul and our spirit because we become led by our soul. That's our emotions, our mind, will, and emotions. We don't want to be ruled by our mind, will, and emotions. Though God created them, they're not bad. In and of themselves, our emotions, our mind, our will is not bad in itself, but we want to be led by the Spirit, though He does work within our emotions and He touches us emotionally. Um, this is, I don't know, maybe God's going somewhere else, but, um, and I just have to follow. But, you know, God will, I believe, and I've seen it, and it's happened to me, where God will actually bring laughter upon someone, or He'll bring crying upon someone. They don't know why. I've seen it here. Um, my wife's testimony, when she first uh, started attending the, the church here, before we got married, um, she came here and she cried every Sunday for about a year. But there wasn't anything specific to cry about. God was just doing something. She didn't even know what was happening. And God just, and there was a lot, what was happening is healing going on. But she didn't even know the healing that was going on. She would cry. And we've, we've heard uh, some of you, and, and maybe with some bad experience, of holy laughter. Well, I was a skeptic. And, and I do believe that there are still people who in a setting can just laugh naturally. Laughter is good. I think laughter is great. But I believe there's also a holy laughter. And I was, the, the time that I experienced it, and I guarantee you there was, it was nothing short of God coming upon me. I was at an outreach in Hollywood. And we had been out doing street ministry all day for a number of days. And we were having just a time of worship in the parking lot. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And uh, it was, there was a number of people just, we, we'd led some worship. I was with Mark Johnson and we were leading worship. And, and it's, I don't even remember what was going on, but something had happened that day. And it was, it was just, it wasn't in a great spot. I was just a little frustrated. And all of a sudden, holy laughter, or at least laughter, started erupting. And over in the corner and, you know, some of the young girls and they always seem to get it more. And, and, you know, I believe that sometimes it's just laughter and they're laughing. Maybe even sometimes people are, are doing it to get attention. We can't, we shouldn't judge their thoughts and attitudes. That's God's job. But I was at the moment being God and I was judging. I go, and I think they're just laughing in the flesh. And I began to do that. And, and so there's prayer going on. And anyways, there's a small group and they began to pray for me. And, Nobody in our group, we, they were seasoned Christians. Nobody was laughing. They were just praying. And um, there was a, a lady from Portland, Oregon, Leslie, and she was just a, a, a wonderful, uh, saintly woman in, in the Lord and, and just had such a, a wonderful spirit about her. They began to pray for me, and and I actually was slain in the spirit. I fell. And, and you know... It's nice to fall on a nice carpet. We were in a parking lot. It was dirty. It was and and it was just I was done. I was gone, and I was, and they just began to pray more. Nobody was praying these fire prayers. Nobody was laughing in our group. 
And I was judging everyone else for laughing. So it wasn't in a great spot to receive from the Lord. And lastly, just began to pray, more, Lord, more. And I remember this. I was, I was looking up, and she was standing this way. And she just was real quietly, just more, Lord. And I'm fighting through this judgment and, and all the th- these things going on. I'm just being real, obviously. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I began to laugh. Deep, hard laughter. And I was angrier. <laughs> I actually was mad. And so I says, no way. And I, I was laughing so hard, I was doubling up. And so, and I was angry in my laughing. And so I says, no. And I straightened myself out and I said, I'm not going to laugh. God had another plan. And so, can God do what he wants to do? I've decided, yes. He can do what he wants to. Do I have to understand it? No. I don't. I'm going to let God be God. And... That's, I guess, just a freebie this morning. I don't know why, where that came from. Just wanted to tell the story. It wasn't in my notes. So now I don't know where to go. No, but we need to let God just do what he wants to do and move. And he does. I guess it came from he created us. And so sometimes he'll even overcome our emotions. He create Our emotions aren't bad. But we don't want to be emotionally led. In the book of Jude, when he talks about these people who were really bad, they said they were like, Waves frothing up to their shame. They are like clouds without water. They are sensual. The word sensual, a definition means that they were sense ruled. We don't want to be ruled by our senses. We want to be ruled by the Spirit. Yet God did create our senses and, and He uses and can work within those things. So Father, this morning as we go into the Word, we say, Word of God, speak to us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Fall fresh on your word. Lord, we desire and we need to hear that rhema word this morning. And we ask that the spirit would come alive as I would minister through the word this morning. God, I, I really submit if you desire, if there's anything else you want to, where you want to go this morning, have your way in the service. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're in the book of Colossians, chapter 4. Coming to the home stretch, we're going to be in verses 2 through 6 this morning. If you have a cell phone, you're welcome to turn it off. I've actually received calls and texts during service, and I said, Who doesn't know that I'm in church this morning? Colossians chapter 4, I'm going to read 2 through 6. It says, Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. We're just going to kind of start right at the beginning and and talk, go through these verses kind of slowly through this morning. It says, continue 
earnestly in prayer. And that's a, that's a great command to us this morning. Continue earnestly in prayer. And a second, it says being vigilant. But this first part, continue earnestly in prayer, this word for continue earnestly is actually just one word in the Greek. And we don't need a, necessarily a Greek, Greek lesson, but sometimes it's important to understand. We go back to that. And it's proskartarete. It, it's a full word. It doesn't just mean, um, don't quit or keep doing, but it does that. It means do it consistently. Pray consistently. Be faithful. Don't give up. Don't quit. So that's part of the understanding here is we, as, as we're being encouraged, and really commanded to pray. There's a reason that we're commanded to. It says, when you pray, don't just pray a little bit. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep praying. Be faithful in your prayer. And that, that right there is, is difficult because how many times have you been at the grocery store or somewhere else and maybe you stuck, struck up a conversation and somebody says, pray for me. You know, one encouragement is pray right then because chances are you're going to forget in a half an hour. So pray right then. But then we can begin to change and say, Lord, I want to continue to pray for this thing. But this isn't just continue to pray for one thing. This is continue to pray. But it's, and it's how the first century church prayed. It's how we're commanded in Ephesians 6.18 to pray. In Ephesians 6.18, it says pray in the Spirit. But it means keep on praying in the Spirit. The word your Bible says there, right, right there, is just simply pray. But that's why it's important to go a little bit deeper at times and say, what does that word mean? Remember, it was written in another language, and sometimes we lose the meaning when we go. And so pray can, for us in English, it can mean pray. Right now, pray, and then you're done. But we also know that in English, we have verb tenses, like other languages, and and unfortunately, we don't always understand. I actually appreciate some of the other languages that put endings or beginnings on a word that helps you identify the tense of that word. In English, you have to understand simply by its context. Let me give you an example. Give you of of some tenses. If I said go to the store, well, I think all of us would understand that you're saying you're saying I'm going to go to the store until I'm at the store. But the word go could also just mean start going. Go. Okay. You're with your kids and you say, ride your bicycle. They run out of the house. They get on their bicycle. They ride around in a circle. They get off their bicycle, come back in the house. And you say, what are you doing in here? And they say, well, I rode my bicycle. And what do you say? Go ride your bicycle. And keep riding your bicycle. Right? We understand those tenses sometimes when we say, ride your bicycle. We don't just mean ride it for a second. It's ongoing. That's actually a verb tense. And when you go and you find it in the Greek, it's easier to find that. But the word pray in Ephesians 6.18 is pray and keep on doing it. Keep on doing it. Here it says, continue earnestly in prayer. Pray and keep on doing it. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. So it does mean do it, keep doing it, be faithful, be devoted, don't quit. But it also means more than that. It doesn't just mean to keep doing it. The Greek word is stronger than that. It means be steadfast, continue, lean into it, be strong. I like this word, attend assiduously. Assiduously. Ooh, 
I don't even know what that word means. But it sounds strong. Attend assiduously. No, it, 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 it's a good word, assiduously. No, it, it does, it, there is a strength in that means it. Do it. Be devoted. It's a strength. So it says, it doesn't just say, well, pray and keep praying. It says, but when you do it, lean into it. Pray strongly. Be diligent, but do it almost forcefully. Go. Don't just throw up these, dear God, thank you for my food. Bless the missionaries on the wall. <laughs> and please bless, you know, politicians and the grocery clerk and Joe and Frida. And a, that's a weak prayer. Can be a weak prayer. Pray. Pray strong. Mean it. Psalm 141.2 says, Let my prayer be set before you as an incense. Where, where there is no fire under the altar, the incense doesn't rise. Let there be fire in the altar of your prayer and let that prayer rise to God as an incense. Pray strongly. Pray to God like you mean it. Well, pastor, I'm just not a very emotional person. And that's true for some of you. And if that's truly the case, then of course you can't muster up passion and emotion. But let me ask you this. When you're serious about somebody cheating you at the store and they're charged you $200 more than they should have, do you say, well, sir, you've charged me $200 more and I demand my money back. Is there ever any passion in your life for the things that are just or unjust? Can we pray like that? God, my neighbor needs Jesus. And really tap into that heart desire and not just lip service in a prayer because we know that we should pray. But understanding that when you pray, something happens that won't happen if you don't pray. Otherwise, God wouldn't have us pray. God wants us to seek Him, to press into Him. So this word is a wonderful, continue earnestly, steadfast, ongoing, be faithful. Could we become like Leonard Ravenhill? Let me read a prayer that Leonard Ravenhill has prayed. Lord, I tearfully ask, teach me to pray with groanings so that there are earthquakes in hell. Teach me the groanings of the Spirit until angels stand in awe. Teach me spirit-born intercession that changes history. Teach me the birth pangs of the Holy Ghost until hell-shaking revival is born. Lead me into travail that will hold back divine judgment for the nations for a little season. Let me be a living sacrifice on the altar of prayer, bleeding to bless, until flood tides of mercy sweep the nation. Lord, break my heart in intercession until my eyes, like that of Jeremiah, are a fountain of tears, weeping for the slain of an uneducated of an educated but spiritually dead people. Can we be like that? You know, when I pray in prayer meetings, I have a really hard time of sitting around in a circle and holding hands. I just fight against that because there's something in me that wants to pace and do business with God. And there's nothing wrong with sitting around and holding hands, but there's, sometimes I feel it's almost like this just sing kumbaya to each other. 
Let's do some business. And let's call down heaven to impact earth. Not that we have to cut ourselves to get his attention. But there's something in passion that we really connect to in our deep desires. And I believe we should begin to tap into those things. Do we mean what we're praying for? Or are we just muttering words because it's the Christian thing to do? Moving on in that, it says, be vigilant in it. Be vigilant. It means to be watchful in prayer. So you're not just, and it's if we're ongoing, the prayer is ongoing. Now it says be vigilant, which means as you live your life and you're living a life of faithfulness and devoted prayer, continuing on in prayer, he's saying now be vigilant, which means watch out for the things that you should be praying for. Pay attention as you're going to the store. Pay attention as you're living, living your life that God will bring something up and say, that's what I want you to pray for right now. Be vigilant. Be watchful. Things are happening around us each and every day, and we too many times miss it, and we walk right by. Be vigilant in your prayer. Be watchful. There are things happening in the spiritual realm, if we can tap into it, that God wants you to pray right now. God wants you to pray. It's an attitude of prayer, an attitude of watchfulness. And it's exciting. And then we're still only in verse 2. I don't know if we're going to make it all the way through. Because the next part says, you do this with thanksgiving. So you're, you're living a life of strong prayer, of passionate prayer. You're being vigilant, watching for things. And as you do that, you do it with thanksgiving. Well, why? This thanksgiving theme comes up throughout the Bible. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything. But with prayer and th- petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. God wants us to be a thankful people. Hebrews 12.28, listen to this verse if you're writing notes. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. Well, that's a great reason to be thankful. We're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. My earthly world shakes from time to time. How about yours? But we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful. And then it says, and so worship God acceptably. Did I just hear that? As we live in thanksgiving, as we are thankful, we worship God acceptably. Does that mean if we're not thankful, we don't worship God acceptably? God help us. Let us worship God acceptably with thanksgiving. And we know the reason, because we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Reverence and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. You know, God is awesome. He's not a pansy. He's not weak. He is awesome and he's a consuming fire. We need to be people of thanksgiving. And as we do that, I believe there's power of prayer that comes from a thankful heart. There's a few things that it does. There's a lot of things that do. But some of the things it does, as we're thankful, it focuses on God and not on ourselves. As you're thankful to people, the focus goes on the person you're thanking and not on yourself. So as you begin to be thankful to God, it's, God, I'm thankful. And it puts the, puts the right order. He is the one from whom all blessings flow. As we give thanks and live as thankful people, it gives power to God, not to our circumstances. Here we are in the midst of fret and worry, and we're fretting and worrying, and we're giving power to those circumstances. But when we begin to turn it around and say, thank you, God, that you are my provider. Thank you, God, that you are my healer. You are my redeemer. You are the one who won't let me stumble or fall. It takes the power away from that and gives the power to God. Amen?
Thanksgiving helps promote joy in our lives. Joy is a good thing. I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. We're down in. Joy is, God wants us to live in joy. And as we begin to live thankfulness and be thankful, give it true thanksgiving, saying, God, you are the author of life. It actually begins to promote joy. Well, in the natural, we know that people who have joy have less health issues. People who have joy have obviously less depression. There's this, there's this connection. God says he wants us to live in joy and be thankful. And then even in the natural, the benefits that we're doing in the spiritual begin to overshadow and come into the natural. Being thankful causes us to recall and to remember God's goodness in our life. Because as you say, I'm going to be thankful, you have to start going, what am I thankful for? And then you begin to name them. Remember the hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one. It's not good enough to say, God, I'm thankful for everything. We do that with it. We, we tell our kids they can't do that. Can't do it in sorry. You can't just say, I'm sorry for everything. <laughs> what are you sorry for? What are you thankful for? Thank you for everything, God. God, thank you. Name them. Name your children. Name the blessings. Start giving credit to God where credit is due, and you go, oh, wow, wait a second, God. The Bible says that it's you who give the ability to earn wealth. Thank you for my job and the fact that I'm earning wealth. You spend, and it, again, it promotes the lifting up of the Father God, the pushing down of the circumstances, and it reminds us that God has been faithful to us. Why so many times in the Bible did they say, build an altar? They crossed the Jordan, take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and build an altar. It, this wasn't just an exercise in futility. Take these rocks from the middle of a river, put them outside of the river, so that every time you walk by these rocks, you'll remember what God did to you and God did for you. Build altars and they help you remember the goodness of God. Because there's plenty of times that come in life when you say, God, I can't see your hand and you've abandoned me. And you go to the altar, the rocks. You go to your journal and you say, you were there then, you were there then, you were there then. You must be with me now. I give you praise. I give you glory. I give you thanks. Wow. It goes on. We finally made it to the next verse. Meanwhile, I'm going to put this whole section together. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains. Also, verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And I'm not going to break this one down too much because I want to put it all together in what it's saying to us this morning. First of all, that first word is important. It says, meanwhile. So it says, pray. Pray strongly, continue to pray, be vigilant while you're praying, pray with thanksgiving, and while you're doing that, pray for us. Pray for us. And that's a good prayer. Here the Apostle Paul is asking this church who he's never met to pray for me. There's some great lessons in this. One, it says that Paul must have believed in prayer. Why would he say, pray for me? 
unless he believed that there was power in that prayer. Paul was a person of prayer. But whenever you read the times, and Paul did it often, he says, pray for me. He didn't say, pray that I would be blessed. Pray that I would have provision. He prayed prayers like this, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. Pray that the gospel would be preached, that the mystery of Christ would be revealed to people. What is the mystery of Christ? I believe simply for Paul, it was that, that God was calling all to repentance. Part of the mystery of, of, of God was that he was calling the Gentiles too. That it wasn't just for the Jews. Paul, Paul was, was put in chains because he was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, not just to the Jews. There was a lot of repercussion in that because there's supposed to be no connection. That's, that's part of the mystery. And the mystery. There's so many mysteries of God, but he says, Meanwhile, praying for us also that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, which I am also in chains. Pray that the word would go forth clearly, that people would be saved, that they would understand the mystery of God. In verse 4, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. In this section, Paul's primary concern was not himself. It wasn't his situation, his finances. It wasn't even his great Aunt Matilda. Now, Aunt Matilda is important. But his primary importance, his primary thrust here was for those who are on the outside. Those who are on the outside, it says in verse 4. Those who were unsaved. The verse here doesn't mean outsiders is like, oh, those outsiders. They're not part of the in group. It wasn't pushing them aside is not important. The outsiders here in verse 5 didn't, didn't mean uh, Pony Boy da- Dallas and, and Cherry Valance from the book The Outsiders. He's talking about those that were outside. Now I want to draw a picture of that. Remember the time of the writing thousands of years ago, even as today, but more so then, having a dwelling place was security, was warmth, was care. You didn't want to be left outside because outside was harsh weather. Animals that roamed. I mean, there was just lions. You walked too far out of the city and there was a lion that might eat you. Being outside really was a dangerous place. And so he's saying, we want the gospel, we want this message for those that are outside. Imagine a cold, rainy day as you're sitting inside your house and up your street is walking a homeless man with maybe his hat or a paper over his head and he's walking aimlessly because he doesn't know where he's going to go. He's outside and you're inside. And that's how we are, church. We're inside. And those who don't have Christ are just like that homeless man. They have no purpose. They have no place. Their lives are in turmoil. They're in danger. They need to come inside. And Paul's concern, though other things might have been on his heart, his primary concern was for those on the outside, those who need a safe dwelling place spiritually. God, pray that God would open a door. That's a scary prayer because God might answer it. And then you might have to walk through the door and open your mouth. Put out your hand. Going down, we used to go down to the gay pride parade a lot and witness. We loved people down there. 
We used to hold up placards and they didn't say the things that maybe you think they would say. It didn't say God hates homosexuals. It said God loves homosexuals. And we went out with love. And we struck, stuck out our hands to people with AIDS. And we loved on them. When God opens a door, sometimes you have to walk through a door that might make you uncomfortable. So this is a dangerous prayer to pray for. Ask somebody to pray for you. Open up a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. There's that word. I, I love that ought. There's something on the inside of us that says you ought to. But it's not from the outside saying you have to. It's from this compelling on the inside that says I have this gift of God inside of me. I have the words of life because Jesus lives inside of me. And woe to me if I keep that word to myself. I ought to speak it. I ought to share it. But we need prayer. We need to pray for others that doors would be open. And I believe if we begin to do this for ourselves and for others, the doors will begin to open and the lost will begin to be saved if we'll walk through those doors. Going on to verse 5, continuing verse 5 here, it says, Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. I believe there's a kind of a twofold idea here with walking in wisdom. And, and part of it is, is this, that as you're out in the world, as you've prayed already now, God, open doors for me, open doors for those in the church, not just open the door for the pastor. Open doors that I might proclaim the gospel. Open the doors that people would hear it and receive it as we pray that and we're living our lives now out, it says, to walk in wisdom. And walk is that live your life and you have to be wise, be wisdom, it says. And I believe it means to be wary. You know, sometimes there's those on the outside that desire to snare you. Be wise, walk in wisdom. They want to trip you up. They want to exploit you. They want to see you do anything and exploit it that might bring defamation to your name and ultimately to Christ's name. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. There's the old adage that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. That's true and there's some other ones. People don't really care about the religion you believe in, but they care about how you live that religion out. People are very concerned about your adherence not to the rules, but to the morals, the standards. They're not concerned whether you tithe, but they are concerned about whether you're honest. They're not impressed if you attend church regularly, but they notice if you're an angry or vulgar man. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom knowing that there's people watching you. Some of them want to trip you up. They want to see you fall. Now the other part is similar because it says we need to be walk in wisdom and be aware of how you live so that through your actions, your lifestyle, your words, and words are powerful. Words are so powerful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me is not true. Words carry weight and they carry power. And once you say a word, you cannot get it back. It's been heard by other people. And people are watching your actions and lifestyle and words. And you can be a positive witness. As you walk in wisdom, as you walk in wisdom, you can be aware of people's needs. God, give me wisdom to, to see and to understand. You can be aware that people have hurts. It's a great opportunity as you ask for wisdom that you would understand the times and you could walk circumspectly. 
And then you could maybe fulfill those needs or bring healing to their hurts, answer those questions that people have. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside. Redeeming the time. I love this phrase, redeeming the time. And there's the song, there's songs, there's parts of songs. Redeeming the time. We need to redeem the time. And most of us, I shouldn't say that, I have always thought in the past, and maybe some of you do, redeem the time. In other words, you know, the time is so short and we've got to act now. I don't believe, I, I've actually changed. I don't believe that's what the writer is even suggesting. I don't believe that's what Paul is saying. This isn't a length of time. Like there's not a lot of time left. It's not a length of time. It means an appointed time. A set time. So what, redeeming a set time, what does that mean? Well, redeeming also means to buy up or to ransom. To rescue from loss. So let me put this together. When it says redeeming the time, it means that there's a set time, an appointed time, right in front of you, that you would share the gospel, that you would help somebody understand the mystery of Christ. It's a set appointed time, and you've got to buy that time right now. Don't let it go. Don't let it go to waste. Walk circumspectly. Walk in wisdom. So when that opportunity is there, you hear the voice of God. Why? You hear the voice of God because you're steadfast in prayer. You hear his voice. You know him. You're vigilant about the things you're praying for. You're watchful. And now an opportunity has come up. And he says, redeem it. Buy it right now. Don't think. And then we fail. How many times? You know that God nudged you. And you turned and walked away. God, forgive me and help me do better, and you move on. Don't ever live in that condemnation of that moment. But you can't buy it back. It's gone. So you have to pray, God, pray that you do something else for that person and make me ready next time. I want to be faithful. I don't want to lose the opportunity to buy back an opportunity, something right in front of me that you've given me. You have a relationship with people. God set a time to plant a seed or to water even to harvest. But it's up to you. It's up to me to rescue that time, to buy it and say, I'm, that's mine. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be faithful. Seize the day. Seize the opportunity. Carpe diem. Or carpe facultas. Seize the opportunity. Get it. Don't let it go by. We go on, we see, we continue to, in verse, in verse 6 here, we're, we're on the home stretch. Such good stuff in this passage. We've gone from prayer and being filled with prayer and praying earnestly, knowing what we're praying for. We're praying for opportunities, praying for the, the, the word to be open, for the doors to be open, and now we're actually going into, oh, we're the ones that are going. We're the ones who are seizing the opportunities. We're the ones who are walking in wisdom. And now it says in verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace. It addressed briefly just a moment ago our walk. And now this is addressing various aspects of our speech. Words are powerful. I believe that this, this means exactly what it says. Partly it says, Let your speech always be full of grace, just what you think it does. Have some grace with people. Let your speech be seasoned with, with grace. Don't be harsh. It's part of this is really simple. If there's anyone ever said, man, have some grace. Yes, look in the mirror. Say, have some grace, Pastor Rob. Have grace. 
Don't be harsh. Be gentle. Be forgiving. Don't be condemning. Remember, grace doesn't condemn. So we're not to condemn. It's Christ who forgives. And ultimately, his people have already been condemned because of their lack of receiving Christ. It's not our job. But we are his witnesses. We get to be his light. We get to walk in grace. We should be witnesses to what he's done in our lives. He's set us free. He didn't condemn us. Let your speech exude that point. He's forgiven me much. Let me have grace with people. Let me be understanding of their brokenness and their situation. That's part of grace. But I also believe it it means that our speech should portray what's happening in our lives. We've received the grace of the Lord and our lives are now should be governed by the Lord. So our speech should portray that our lives are full of the Spirit. Governed, directed by the Spirit. Our speech should portray that out. Our speech should portray that our religion, our virtue, our piety is real. It's not insincere. It's not feigned. You can tell the difference often when people are faking it. And I'll tell you one thing the world seems like they're really good at is detecting counterfeits. But when the Lord is living through you and you're governed by Him, then your speech also will be governed by Him and you'll be full of grace and the things you say will be full of the Lord, full of compassion and mercy and grace. Seasoned with salt. I love that expression. And it's not the one we say, we'll take this with a grain of salt. But this salt, salt is a preservative. It's used as an antibiotic. It's used in healing. Let your speech bring life. You know, you need salt in your life. Some of us need a little less salt. But you need some. When we were in the Grand Canyon recently, we learned uh, something that we ha- I hadn't heard. I've been hiking my whole life and doing things. But in the Grand Canyon, they said, listen, drink lots of water and eat a lot of salty foods as you go on your big hikes down into the canyon and back. And I thought, that's just going to make me thirstier. But you need to replenish the salt that you're sweating out. So go on a big hike, do a lot of exercise, put some salt in. Plus that, you know, drink more water and get the salt. Your body needs it. Salt. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let it bring life. Let it bring the things that their lives are lacking. Let it be seasoned. Let it be a preservative, full of grace, seasoned with salt. Why? That you may know how you ought to answer each one. Lord, help us to understand Let's help us to have wisdom. Help us to be watchful so that we can know how to answer each one. Do you know you're not supposed to talk to everyone the same? You know, you just don't talk to everyone the same. People just don't receive it all the same. Paul says, I become all things to all people that Christ may be glorified. Learn how to speak to people. There's a time to be a little, a little more gruff. There's a time to be soft. There's a time to talk about Maybe difficult issues and there's a time just to bring love and healing and ministry. 
don't just be a hammer. Because when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. You just want to beat on everything. Let's learn how to be a toolbox. We walk into a situation. God, give me discernment and wisdom. This is the right tool for today. Love and mercy and compassion. This is the right tool for today. Apologetics. This person's a thinker. We're going to talk about the reason that the Bible is true. We can talk about creation and science, and that's a great tool for today. This person has a broken heart. They just need healing. Jesus says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. Be a toolbox for Jesus. Walk in wisdom. Says, so that we might know how to answer each one. You know, we're, you might be the only Jesus somebody meets in their entire life. We're living in a post-Christian, post-modern age in this country. People are growing up without ever hearing about God or Jesus in a positive manner at all. There are people who have no good witness in their life and they might make it through their whole life and the one contact they have with you might be the one. That appointed time that you need to redeem and answer them, speak to them how you ought. As we walk in grace, we understand our speech should be full of grace and seasoned with salt. That should bring healing. You know, it should be attractive. I used to hate, I've, I've, I, I tell stories a lot about the times I was out on the streets and I used to hate people who'd get out on the bullhorn and scream at people. It was just horrid. Or yell at people in Jesus' name. I remember in New York City one time I just heard yelling and I was just a young pup. I was about 18 years old. And I, it wasn't real strong, strong return to the Lord. And I heard this yelling and I looked over. I thought, oh, somebody's yelling at one of our team, team guys. You know, I mean, cause that happens. And I look over and it's one of our team members yelling at somebody he's witnessing to. God, no, no, hands are moving and he's yelling and the other person's really calm. And, and I ran over there as quick as I could to stop the guy from being stupid. And the guy he was witnessing to was a Mormon. I thought he just ruined his witness. So I, ta- I spent about five minutes with this man, and and I believe I, I at least showed that not all Christians were dumb and jerks. And the gospel is attractive, so our speech, our lives should be attractive to the lost. That salt is going to help them not to be spoiled. It's going to preserve them. So we pray and we. Answer those. We might be able to answer topics and discuss things with the right words that we use. You know, you could become an expert in answering people if you let God direct you. That's what we want. So that we might know how to answer each one. Everyone's individual. This morning we're all individuals in this room. One of, the, one of the difficult things about preaching, I'm sure Pastor Jeff, Floyd, Lynch, all these people who've preached on a regular basis come to the crossroads. How do you preach a message so that everyone will hear? It's really difficult because we all understand differently. In fact, after today's message, if you take a poll of what I preached about, you're going to get about six messages. And then some of you will have something we don't know what that is. <laughs> it just happens. 
But in our daily lives, we have opportunities to be with each one. And you pray, God, how do I answer this one? How do I live here? What do they need? I want to have my life full of grace, seasoned with salt. And the only way that can happen is Christ living in me. You can't muster this stuff up. You can't fake it. They know. And there's no power in it. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke. So it has to be real. It has to be inspired and breathed upon by God for any of it to ever happen in the first place. But we are the ones who let it happen or don't. God's living in us. It's our choice whether we'll allow him to live through us in public or not. And that's what this passage is talking about. We're supposed to continue in prayer. Pray for these things. Be thankful. Pray that the word of God will go forward and that we will walk in wisdom as we go forward. That we would take opportunity to redeem those times, buy back every opportunity and don't let them slip away to plant a seed. But I've been saying this for a long time. I'm going to say it again. That doesn't mean you have to lead somebody to Jesus tomorrow. That just means you get to be a a seed planter or a waterer. Because our whole goal as Christians is simply this, to bring everyone we come in contact with one step closer to Jesus. That's all he's asking. One step closer. The hard part is is that if we live our lives without wisdom, without the Spirit of God, without self-control, we're bringing people we come in contact with one step further away from him, not closer. Your witness says so much about you. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. How you live is so important. How you speak is so important. Let it, let it be equal. Let it be both from the fountain of God living inside of you. Don't be under pressure. Says, well, Pastor Rob preached this message and now I have to go. No, you get to. You just get to let Jesus live out through you. Look for those opportunities. And they're so much more simple than you think. A kind word, loving response, watching the the neighbor's dog. Silly things, maybe, but they're seeds being planted. They're, They're things being watered. One step closer to Jesus. That's what we want. We don't argue. You know, when you argue with someone, you've already lost. You've already lost. Husbands and wives know this really well. I'm good at winning an argument. But if I do that all the time, I'll sleep on the couch all the time. I can be absolutely right and prove it. And I've lost. We don't prove anything. We love. We bring Christ. We bring people a little bit closer to Jesus. Let's pray. God, this passage, this section in Colossians is full of of life. God, I even think it's full of freedom because you living in and through us, God, is going to bring life and freedom to others and that will then bring life and freedom to us. God, but there are some challenges that we would say yes, that we would hear that Spirit's yearning even inside of us to become people of prayer, that you would help us to discipline ourselves to be a people of prayer. God, stir up passion in each of our hearts and lives 
to not just be rote, but to understand your goodness. Become people of passionate prayer who persist. God, and then open our eyes to the opportunities that you present as you would open the doors for the gospel to be preached, for your love to be manifest through us to other people. Help us to guard our tongue, to walk in grace. God, that our speech would portray Christ living in us and not betray Christ living in us. Only in you and only you and us will this happen. And God, as we go, help us to remember that we are your light and your witnesses and that we have the opportunity to bring people a step closer to you each and every day. Strengthen us to fulfill your commission to each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, a few housekeeping things. I do pray that you're really blessed today. We're going to pray for the food now too because...